excited about jumping into this text this morning. Um, I mentioned the first service. I like a lot. I like preaching more than I like preparing. Uh, it, one's like work and, and one's just like fun. It's just, I, I, I love, but, but this week, uh, and, and as I've just been studying through this text in Ephesians, um, I was having like a little revival meeting in my office, just really allowing the Holy Spirit to make fresh and alive uh, his word to me. And as we get, um, uh, as we hover around this section of scripture, we're gonna focus on this morning, it's one of those things that honestly, if we will wrap our arms around it, if we will understand what the scripture teaches and see ourselves through the lens of what God's word says and not what our opinions are or what other people said, if we'll allow the word of God to be the influence on us, it changes everything. This is one of those passages, one of the subjects together this morning that literally just changes everything for us. And so you've oftentimes talked, heard me talk about the importance of knowing who we are in Christ Jesus, and that's extremely, uh, extremely important, but, but much of who we are in Christ stems from our union in Christ, and it's that that we're going to talk about uh, this morning, and so I pray that, that God the Holy Spirit will, will, will do in you what he did in my heart this past week as I've been di- diving into the text, and I pray it continues to do in your heart throughout the week as you dig in a little deeper uh, than a Sunday morning uh, worship service would allow for us to do. We left off last week uh, looking at Ephesians chapter 2, and we saw what we are apart, or what we were apart from Christ, right? We realized that apart from Christ, we are as bad off as we possibly can be, right? We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We, see, we saw that uh, we were uh, influenced by the world around us as well as by Satan himself. We see that in uh, Ephesians chapter two. Let's take a look at that this morning. Um, Chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And so we see here that apart from Christ, we were being influenced by two sources. We're being influenced by the course of this world, as well as we were following the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan himself this spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We don't have to look very far to see that manifest in our world today. We see a whole world around us that are being influenced by the course of this world and the influence of the prince of the power of the air, among whom we all once lived, right? Everybody say once, right? It's not what we are anymore, it's what we were. That's the way we walked, but we don't walk there anymore. That's not how we live our lives. He says, but that's what you were. Among whom we all once lived, we lived in the passions of our flesh. Yes, we did. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind. Yes, we did. And we're by nature children of wrath. Yes, we were just like the rest of mankind. So Paul presents this picture or this predicament of every human being that's born of a woman that is is as bad off as they possibly can be. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and as a result of that, our lives reflected our identity, which was in enmity towards God, which was completely sinful and influenced by, again, the course of the world and the prince of the power of the air. And as a result, we were under the wrath of God. We were by nature children of wrath. It doesn't get any worse than that, but thankfully it doesn't stop there for us. 
Look at verse four. He said, that's what you were, but God. That's the breather right there. It's like, all right, good. God steps in. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Man, what an incredible change in our disposition. What Christ did for us in that moment when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Jesus steps into our life and makes us alive together in Christ or with Christ. And it says, by grace, you've been saved. I love that. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were as bad off as we possibly can be, when we were desperate and lost without hope, when we were found guilty before God, even when we deserved to remain under the wrath of God, God stepped in. But God, seeing our dead condition, he made us alive together, together, together. With who? With Christ. He made us alive not as an individual, alive together with Christ. It speaks of the union of of the believer with Christ himself. Paul will go on to qualify the means by which this is done. He says this is done by the, the grace of God. Done by the grace, by grace, he says, you have been saved. I love that word grace. It means receiving God's favor and acceptance on the merits of Christ. Receiving something that we don't deserve. We cannot earn our salvation, we'll cover, and we'll cover that shortly. We cannot earn the favor of God. It is by the merits of Christ, the work of Christ alone, by grace you have been saved. We're gonna build on that in a little bit, but what I wanna do is, for this morning, I wanna kinda, I wanna look at the full text here to get a better understanding of, of all that's going on here because it doesn't stop with just being made alive together in Christ. Now, if it did, that'd be, that'd be good enough. I'd be, right? I mean, thank, thank God, like, we just didn't leave us dead in our trespasses and sins, and, and if he just stepped in and made us alive together in Christ, that's, that's, that's way more than anything we will ever, ever deserve. But you see, just when, when you thought it got good, in the sense that he, he made us alive together, God goes over and above in giving us more than we ever have the ability to understand fully on this side of eternity. This is where the good gets gooder, right? As, as we look at this passage of scripture, and we're gonna hover around a lot of this, I'm gonna say a lot of the same thing different ways because it's so important to me um, that, that you understand the, the importance of, of our union with Christ because when you understand the union that we have in Christ, it affects everything, the way we see God, the way we see ourselves, the way we see our salvation, the way we see our future, the way we see our past, the way we live our lives, it affects everything when we understand our union in Christ. Look again at the text here, verse five of chapter two. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Doesn't stop there, look. And he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. In Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
One of the most glaring things that we see in this passage of scripture is our union with Christ. It is such a, it's such a specific and, and strategic um, couple of verses there that helps us to really absorb what's being said, not only in chapters one through six, but actually the entirety of the word of God. Our union with Christ is perhaps one of the most significant truths in the scripture regarding our position in Christ. If you get nothing out of this message this morning but a greater idea and understanding of our union in Christ, then it'll be worth, worth the cost of admission. And I, and I pray that God would allow, but Holy Spirit, would you just open our eyes this morning? Help us to, to take your word and apply it in ways that I can never land this. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding so we'd see what you've done for us and as a result of that, that we would passionately uh, follow hard after you and love, love you all over again like it's, a, like it's a new, fresh relationship. Our union with Christ it is the most significant truths in the scripture regarding our position in Christ. Our union in Christ directly secures our position in Christ and it informs our practices in Christ. I mentioned to you earlier in, in, in the series that when we look, at chap, we look at the book of Ephesians, we see two main sections. Chapters one, two, and three have to do with our position in Christ. Who are we in Christ? And then chapter four, five, and six deal with our practices in, in, in Christ, the way in which our position is mobilized in the world around us. But both of those sections, chapters one through six, really kind of flow through the awareness of our union with Christ, our oneness with Christ. Our union with Christ directly secures our position in Christ and it informs our practices in Christ. In the same way that our union with Adam has defined and impacted the human race, and it's done just that, hasn't it? We see that manifest not just in the world around us, but we saw that manifest in our own lives. As a result of the sin of Adam and that sin nature being passed on down to all of humanity, we see the results of being united or being in union with Adam. In the same way that, the, the, that being in union with Adam impacted the human race, our union with Christ impacts the redeemed race. In the same way that, that the, the, the mindset and the, the, the behaviors or the responses of, the, of, of being in union with Adam has impacted the human race, in the same way, our union with Christ impacts the way we see life, live life, see God, see ourselves, and everything else. Well, how, how, has, it, how has this union with Adam impacted the human race? Well, we are, we are identified as sinners, that's, that's, our, that's our identity. We are sinners by nature and by choice. We are sinners. As a result of being in union with Adam, we are born the enemies of God. That's what the scripture teaches. We are born separated from God. We are born in enmity with God. As a result of being born in Adam and born, and born in union with Adam, we are drawn to sin and rebellion, right? Nobody had to teach you how to sin. Nobody had to teach you to rebel against authority. It kind of came natural to us, right? We just kind of, you know, just went and followed the, the desires of our own hearts. Being in union with Adam, those are just the natural tendencies of those who are in union with Adam. We're drawn to sin and rebellion. And as a result of being in union with Adam, we, are, we have a destination of damnation. 
separated from God for all of eternity in, 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 in hell, apart from Christ, without the possibility of ever being redeemed. That's being in union with Adam. That's as bad off as it possibly could be. But in contrast, our union with Christ, it changes everything. That's what we were, but that's not what we are anymore. As a result of now being in union with Christ, our disposition before God, it changes. We're not the same people we, we used to be, right? We who were not a people are now the people of God. And so now as, as God's own children, we are, our disposition changes before him. We're no longer the enemies of God. We are the adopted sons and daughters of God. We have been brought near to his heart. We are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace. Our, dis our disposition changes before God. We no longer are under the wrath of God, but instead, because of being in union with Christ, we are the, we are the recipients of God's grace and his mercy and his acceptance. It's, it, there's been a change, right? As a result of our union with Christ, we're no longer drawn to sin and rebellion, but instead, we are now drawn to, to we have a determination to, to please God, Right, isn't that, that's what's going on in the inside. That's what gets you here on a Sunday morning. That's what causes you to tune in. I know we have areas where we are, we're kind of working through, right? We got areas that we, we struggle with, but I know that deep and on the inside, there's a desire to please God, right? I mean, you want to, you want to love God more. You want to honor God more. We, we get in the way sometimes. We need to learn, unlearn some patterns from the past that trip us up, but that doesn't define us. On the inside, you want to please God. Is, is, is that right? Am I, is this the audience? Right? I and mean, there's something on the inside that's changed in us. We don't want to offend God. We don't want to be unrighteous before God. Now, as a result of our union with Christ, our determination has changed on the inside to please Please, God. As a result of our union with Christ, our destination has changed. We are no longer have a destination of damnation, but now we have a destination of eternal bliss in the presence of God forever and ever and ever, apart from the presence of sin and the impact of sin in the presence of God the way we were designed to experience that relationship prior to the fall. Our union with Christ has changed everything and the reality of it is this awareness, this truth has got to work its way down from our heads to our hearts so that we can move out in who God says we are. Imagine adopting a child who came from a very abused relationship and you adopt that child, and you say that child is, no, you're, you're in a new home now, right? It's kind of like, like the same story with Quincy. We looked at Quincy a couple weeks ago, right? But imagine that child had no ability to trust you, had no ability, you, just, you constantly wanted to say, listen, we love you now, you're part of our family, we're not ever gonna disconnect. Imagine this kid is just trying so hard to kind of get in your good graces and, and they're tripping over themselves, trying to please you all the time and, and they're, like, they're, like they're on this, this path to try and please you to gain your acceptance and you wanna say to them, no, 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 I don't want you, you already have my acceptance, right? Could you imagine raising your children in such a way 
that you're constantly dangling this carrot, say, well, do this and do this and do this and do this. And finally, if one day, if you hit the target, then you'll accept my love. Do you realize how dysfunctional we'd be raising kids today? Can I tell you that this is exactly what's going on in the church? We have this image of what God is expecting. You do this, you do this. You, you know, if, if you do this, I'll be happy. If you do this, I won't be happy. I love you, I love you not. No, no, no. We, it creates this, this mindset that doesn't understand who we are in Christ Jesus. You are no longer in union with Adam. You're in union with Christ and everything has changed. Our disposition before God has changed. Our determination is now to please God. Our destination is to be in eternity for him, with him forever and ever and ever. This idea of union with Christ is so powerfully important. Listen to what some of the theologians from the past will say. John Murray says, he wrote that, that union with Christ is the central truth to the whole doctrine of salvation. It is not simply a phrase of the application of redemption. It underlies every aspect of redemption. It doesn't, doesn't just, in other words, it doesn't just describe how God applied it. No, no, no. It underlines every aspect of redemption. Lewis Smead said it was, speaking of the union with Christ, it was at once the center and circumference of authentic human existence. In other words, this is what we were designed to experience before the fall. Anthony Hokimo wrote that once you have had your eyes open to the concept of union with Christ, you will find it almost everywhere in the New Testament. We certainly will see it all throughout the book of Ephesians, but it goes way, way before that. I can't, just a little snapshot of when we get into chapter five, something I'm looking forward to kind of unpacking. But you remember in, in chapter five where, where Paul, when he's talking about some of the practices in, 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 in the, in, in, uh, that we are to live out in Christ, he will, he will cause us to look back at Genesis the Genesis account is he talks about how husbands and wives ought to, rea- or to enact with one another and engage in relationship with one another. But he'll, he'll bring um, back from what Genesis says, it says, it, um, for this reason, when God created Adam and Eve, he says, this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. What a beautiful picture of the union that, ex- that is experienced in relationship, in, in, a, in, a, in the sacred covenant of marriage. Something miraculous happens that day. You don't just get a legal license in the mail that says, you know, you're, you're married. That's, that, that's not what happens. There's something miraculous that happens. There's a, there, when two people come together and, and covenant to one another and covenant to God, the two become one flesh. Have you seen marriages that haven't lived in oneness? Right, he's living his life, she's living her life, and they're just not connecting. Imagine, like, you know, how, think about how that, how that impacts everything you do. As a, as a married man, I mean, you, you look at everything, at least I do, and you ought to if you're a married man, you ought to look at everything as what you're doing and how you're doing it through the lens of being a married man. 
right? How, my, my, the union I have with my wife influences everything I do, everywhere I go, who I talk to, how I talk. It affects everything. It gives me great comfort and assurance to know that I've got a bride at home who loves me and accepts me and, and it brings wholeness to my life, right? There's a powerful reality of being in union with my wife. The two become one flesh so much so that I'm really not much fun without her. I got to go to an awards banquet this last uh, weekend. My, my son Gabriel won a great award, inspiration award. I'm so proud of him. But my, uh, Laura couldn't make it, and so I, um, she, had, she had some work to do. So I, I went by myself. And I'm like, I'm boring. I'm disconnected. I'm like, I really, I just need my wife. It's just really, I'm bad. You know, it's, it's, God is right. It's not good that man be alone. <laughs> so that union, that oneness, that's why his divorce is so disgusting. That's why it's so unnatural. That's why it causes so much pain. And Paul, in speaking to husbands and wives, will pull back from that text in Genesis and say, for this reason, a man, and what, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, I speak to you a, minister, a mystery. I'm speaking about Christ and the church. The oneness of Christ and his bride, the church. The father sent the son to the bride. And the two have become one flesh. This idea of this oneness. Now, some camps have taken this to a heretical extreme in suggesting that this, this, this unity that we have, this oneness that we have, means that we're little gods. And that's not what I'm suggesting at all. But this, this theme, this, this, this communication that we see from the lips of Jesus and all throughout the scriptures of this oneness that we have an experience, right? And Paul talks about the body of Christ, Christ being the head, part of the body. Jesus said, if, if, abide in me and my word, let my words abide in you. We, we, again, we see this connection. We see this unity. And see, when we understand that, we understand that we, what Isaiah says, that we're clothed in, in his righteousness. When God sees us, he, he doesn't just see you, he sees his son. It's inescapable, inseparable. You're in union with Christ in the same way that you were in union with Adam. Now you're in union with Christ. And apart from Christ, he saw the results of being in union with Adam and it condemned your soul to hell. But as a result of being in union with Christ, he sees the union that exists and creates a pathway for eternity to be in the presence of God. He made us alive together in Christ. In Christ. That's the title of our series. The title, the title of the series is Blessed in Christ. Because this unity is seen and woven all throughout the scriptures, this, this union, if you will, made us alive together in Christ in the same way, in the same way that we have shared in Christ's death, 
we've shared in his life. Isn't that why we have a, I don't know why churches don't have crosses in their building anymore, but that's the reason why we have a cross in here. We're reminded of the significance of the cross. I've been identified. I am in union with Christ in his death. When Christ went to the cross, it's as if I went to the cross as well. I was in union with Adam, but I became, I was in, now I'm in union with Christ, and Christ took the punishment that was directed on Adam upon himself for me, and I'm in union with the death of Christ, and in the same way that I'm in the union with the death of Christ, and let me tell you, that's really good news, by the way, because somebody had to pay the price for your sin, right? God just doesn't say, like, like you know, mulligan, we'll give you a do-over. No. God's too holy. He will not lower his standard. He will not change his righteousness. He's immutable. He's unchanging. Somebody had to pay a price for that, for that sin nature that we were born with. And Christ took it all upon himself. And so we have been, we are in union with Christ in his death. And likewise, we are in union with Christ in his life. Paul says it better than I ever could. Look at Romans chapter six and verse three. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, baptized into Christ, baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. Every one of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Do you see the union that exists here that we have been identified with the death of Christ? We have been baptized by him into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I love that. Look, go back there. Just as, not hypothetically, not hopefully, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, we also, we in the same way, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse eight, for if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. I mean, this is is the truth. You see what this takes away? This takes away the the feeling like I, I have to earn the approval of God. I have to earn the acceptance of God. I have to do all these things and the moment I miss it, I'm disqualified and God doesn't love me and he doesn't care. Listen, that might have been the way your parents taught you, a spouse taught you or whatever. That's not the way God deals with you. We've been united with him in in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. Live with him. Our present position before God is directly connected to our union in Christ. So powerful. So life-changing. If we'd allow ourselves to see the 
significance of that. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he says, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We see three things here that Christ did for us. He, he made us alive together. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made us alive together, but he didn't just do that. He also raised us up with Christ. And he didn't just raise us up. He seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. In other words, that which follows Christ's resurrection follows ours as well. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and went to heaven and was seated in the heavenly places, his reality becomes our reality as well. He made us alive together in Christ, our resurrection. He raised us up with Christ, right? And he seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. Now it gets a little deeper than this. Check this out, ready? All of these statements, being made alive together, being raised up in Christ, being seated with Christ, all of these statements are presented in the past tense. This, this is not wishful thinking. This isn't, if you, this isn't one of those, remember we talked about the if and then statements a couple weeks ago, right? If you do this, then God will do this. No, he made us alive together. He raised us up with Christ. He see, all of these are in the past tense. These are not things that are going to happen to us. These are things that have already happened to us. In other words, you are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are already accepted. You are already the object of his love. You are already the object of his affection. You already have been made alive, raised up, and seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You say, but... I don't, I don't feel like that. It has nothing to do with how you feel. Too many times we feel based on what we've experienced in the past, right? Whether it's bad theology or bad relationships or bad mindset or whatever it is, so much of our past informs our present theology. We need to be very careful that our theology doesn't come from anything other than the word of God. This is what the scripture says. And we'll realize this is all in the past tense. It kind of makes sense now of what he said in chapter one where he says, even as he chose us, when? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Do you, are you starting to see the picture here? That salvation is of the Lord? That what's going on here is God saw a people for himself? That's what he's saying here in Ephesians chapter 1. And he has provided a way through the Son to gather that people. And he will save that people. And he will bring that people to heaven forever for all of eternity. We need to remember that God isn't bound or governed by time. That's where the problem comes in. Hey, we, we read Ephesians chapter one and we have a brain freeze. Because here's the thing. We just don't know where to put this on the timeline. Like when did this all happen? Like did it happen when I bowed the knee and confessed with my mouth? Did it happen when Jesus died on the cross? Did it 
Ephesians say it happened before the foundation of the world. Like, where, how, somebody tell me where on the timeline does this all happen? We need to remember God isn't bound or governed by time. He's eternal. He exists over time. And therefore, that which God puts in motion before time, while experienced by us in time, doesn't need to be reconciled in our minds using days and minutes and the normal time elements that we would attribute to a timeline. <sighs> right? We're getting a glimpse into the mind of God that is so far beyond our ability to reconcile. The danger comes in when we try to put it in a box and say, here's how it all makes sense. And listen, in the end of the day, it's not gonna make sense completely until we get on over to the other side. But returning to our text, we see we, we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. We were raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He made us alive with Christ. With Christ. So if you couldn't be made alive, then he wasn't made alive, but he was made alive, so then therefore you were made alive. But not only did he didn't just make you alive, you were made alive with Christ, you were raised up with Christ. And you were seated with Christ. Before I address those, I want to just jump, kind of jump into the location of this because he says here that we were made alive, um, uh, uh, made alive with Christ, raised up with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about the location of this. Where, is the, where are the heavenly places that Paul is using here? Now, the, 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 the word places actually isn't in the original, um, the, the original Greek. That was a word that was inserted for our English translation. So really the right wording is that we were seated with Christ in the heavenlies. So what, where, are the, where are the heavenlies? Paul uses the same Greek word um, in, when he's talking about an experience that he had in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, I know a man, speaking of himself in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. He says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, which is a whole other story we can attack some other day, but he makes reference to this one being, speaking of himself, being caught up into the third heaven. So where is that? Well, the third heaven, the first, so the first heaven is our atmospheric heaven, right? It's kind of like what we experience right here on earth. And then the second heaven would be the planets and the sun and the moon, the stars, and some people that we probably think belong up in that category as well, right? And so we got the second heaven out there. And then, and then there's the third heaven. The third heaven is where the presence of God is. The third heaven is where, where God's throne is. That's the location that Paul said he was caught up into when he saw, saw the vision of the Lord. And, and, and likewise, this passage of scripture where he says that we are seated with heaven, with Christ in the heavenly places, in the third heaven. Now stick with me here. We were, we were dead in their trespasses and sins. We were identified and in union with the world around us, right? Because we were in union with Adam. And that's what we were in union with. We were in union with Adam, therefore we were in union with the world we lived 
being influenced by the course of this world, being influenced by the prince of the power of the air. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. Jesus stepped into our reality of being dead, into our reality of being under the wrath of God, and he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places or in the heavenlies in Christ. He raised us up. We saw, we already looked at the fact that we've been made alive. We've been made alive together with Christ. Now he says, we were raised up. Well, raised up from where? Well, we were in union with Adam. And so therefore we were in union with this world. And so we were raised up from this world system from being citizens and occupants of this world. He he raised us up out of this world and placed us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This isn't anything new. We we see all throughout the scripture that we are not of this world. We see that our citizenship is is not of this earth, but it's in heaven, right? Jesus, when when praying for um, uh, for, for the disciples, he says in John chapter 17 and verse 14, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Why? Because they are not of this world. Just as I, Jesus, am not of this world. Do you, do you see the union right there? Because there was a time where they were of this world, but no longer. They are not of this world in the same way, just as I am not of this world. John 15, 19, if you are of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You are raised up out of this world. Philippians reminds us that our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our citizenship, our loyalty, our homeland, our peeps are on the other side. Peter will employ his readers. He says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as pilgrims, as as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. I love the picture that that Peter paints here. He says, listen, don't forget, you're a sojourner. You're a pilgrim passing through. You're an exile to this world. Therefore, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Those things that were consistent with being in union with Adam, they're not a part of you anymore. Don't engage with that anymore because it's no longer part of your nature. Doesn't mean you can't do it. Doesn't even mean you won't like it. It just means you'll never find fulfillment in it. It'll never satisfy and it's inconsistent with the position of who we are in Christ and it will lead to a whole train wreck of messes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, I love this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away What's the old? It's me in union with Adam. The old has passed away. It's not who I am anymore. 
And you see a lot of the struggle we have in this Christian journey, what's the real struggle? The struggle is because we are now to live a life that's consistent with who we are, not what we were. And when we're not, we get this angst on the inside. We don't feel the peace, we don't feel the wholeness, we don't feel the blessing of God in our life because there's, we're living in a way that's inconsistent. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're no longer in union with Adam. You're in union with Christ. And I love this. He says, look, he says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this, he says, is from God. Isn't it a result of your efforts? It's not a result of your works. It doesn't matter how good you are. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. I don't see me involved in that process at all. All this is from God. All means all. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, he raised us up. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. He makes us alive together and says, you don't belong to this earth. He raises us up to a homeland that is now our own. We are no longer residents on this earth, but pilgrims passing through. I know this, this sermon gets broadcast all over Long Island on Thursday nights, and I venture to believe there's some people who are very unfamiliar with the teachings of the scripture that I think I'm crazy to say this when I say that we are not of this world. But we are not of this world. I don't belong here. Everything in me screams out, I don't fit in with this world. I think different, I feel different, I see different. Why? Because I've been so influenced by the word of God and, 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 and the union I have with Christ that I see the world around me and there's a heartbeat that says I want them to experience the same saving faith that I have been freely without any merits of my own a recipient of. We're no longer residents on this earth, but pilgrims passing through. We're here as stewards. We're here as ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? An ambassador is someone who, who, who has a citizenship in a foreign country, and he goes to another country to represent his homeland. And that's what we are. The scripture said we're ambassadors. We are representations of the, on the earth of our heavenly kingdom. That's what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter two. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Where? On the earth. And the life that I live in the, in, in, in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I recognize that while I'm on this earth, I need to be a good steward of the things that are before me to do. I need to be responsible, but everything needs to be looked at through the lens of my union with Christ. He says to the church of Colossians, and I'll start to wrap it up here. He says, look, if then, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's a great way to know if you've been raised up in Christ. It's not just a matter of believing, right, that you know, Jesus is, is God. The, the scripture says Satan even believes. If we've been raised together in Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And this is where it gets extremely personal at that point. This is where we gotta look, at, look inwardly and say, God, am I seeking those things that are above or am I seeking those things that are below? 
Am I seeking those things that are in union with Adam? Or am I seeking those things that are in union with Christ? That doesn't mean Christ doesn't, Christ doesn't want you to have fun and enjoy it. No, that's, that's not at all. It means enjoy all the things that God gives to you through the lens of your union with Christ. If, you, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. You see, too many times we get, we get distracted, we get pulled in so many different directions, we allow so many influences and so much information and so much popular opinion to form and shape our thinking, and it's not godly. We need to make sure that we are supplementing or over, overcompensating for all the garbage that's coming down the pike of information, and we need to hold those lies up to the truth of God's word. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. Why? For you've died. That's why. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me in me. For you have died. Who died? Tony Balsamo, in union with Adam, died. But something happened. But God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, even while I was dead in my trespasses and sins, he made me alive together in Christ Jesus, by grace I've been saved. And he raised me up, and he seated me in the heavenly places in union with Christ. For you have died, but now, he says, look, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you see how you have changed? Do you see? It's not a matter of whether you understand it or identify. This is what it means to be a believer. This is what it means to be in Christ. This is what it means when, when this is why Christ came to the earth so we could be in union with Christ. We have died to ourselves, and now our life is hidden with Christ in God. You know what that means? That when God sees you, he sees Jesus. You've been conditioned to think that God's disappointed with you. You've been conditioned to believe that, that, that God's mad at you. You've been conditioned to believe that you're always trying to gain his af- affection and, and affirmation. When he sees you, he sees his son because your life is hidden. He doesn't see it. It's hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll see it also, is what he's saying there. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Because you see that hidden life, my, the, the reality, the real, the, 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 who I am in Christ, the position I have in Christ, is not being lived out in every area of my life. Sorry. There's just still too much of me that needs to die. There's too much of the, the ways of the past that, that needs to be cleansed and purged and sanctified out of my life, and I'm working on it. Be patient with me. But God doesn't judge me on that. My life is hidden in Christ. I am so confident that if my heart were to stop beating right now, I'd be in the presence of Jesus. Why? Because my life is hidden with Christ 
in God. John says these things were written that you might know that you have eternal life. Don't say you can't know for sure. We can. That's who you are. You're in union with Christ. You're either in union with Christ or you're under the wrath of God. There is no other location spiritually a person can be. Every person born of woman is either in union with Christ or in union with Adam under the wrath of God. You were made alive, having been dead in trespasses and sins. He raised you up. From where? From the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That's what we're going to talk about next week. But I want to encourage you this week to allow your identity in Christ to be affirmed by what you see in the scriptures. There's so much. Look in the scripture, every time it talks about in Christ, with Christ, abiding in Christ. See yourself as God sees you. When we recognize that, we realize that we are not a people striving for acceptance, but we are a people moving out from acceptance. And when I'm moving out from acceptance, you know what it makes me want to do? Please God, run from sin. Live holy lives. Reflect Jesus in the world around me. That's what union with Christ creates in us. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the, hype, the opportunity, the, the, the gift of salvation that has been given to us in Christ. We thank you for the union that we are recipients of. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning in this room or watching on TV or online, I pray that if they've not put their trust in Christ and embraced the Savior, Lord, would you do to them what you've done to so many of us? Would you make them alive together today? so they would see and experience the depth and the width and the breadth and the height of God's love for them. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen.